Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jay Will, City of Refuge Church. Um, glad you're tuning in with us. I wanted to start doing kind of a docu-series where I sat down with some community leaders and just people in the community to discuss things that's going on in our community and also how the gospel speaks truth to it. Um, I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Pastor Andre Rogers. Uh, Andre Melvin, I'm sorry. I get y'all, I always mess y'all names. Right. <laughs> we close friends and brothers, that's all. Right. <laughs> Andre, please introduce yourself for the people, man. Well, I'm Andre Melvin. I'm the uh, pastor of Temple Zion Baptist Church here in Columbia, South Carolina. Also, uh, and also in the, uh, near the Eau Claire area off of, on, uh, off of uh, Monticello Road on Hayward Brockton Road in the Crane Creek Forest area. I'm also the director of the Prison Initiative Program for CIU, Columbia International University, and I've been serving as in that position for the last seven years, but with the program since it started 12 years ago. And how long have you been at uh, Temple Zion? 12 years. Oh, good, so you you have kind of a heartbeat and a feel for the community. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been serving this venue for quite a while. We're, we're grateful to God. We, we actually just moved into the community about three years ago. And so we're just um, excited to be um, where we are, and we're thankful to the Lord. We know this is where He has us, and uh, we've seen fruit as a result of our time here, so we're grateful to God. Good, good. Um, as a local pastor in this area, uh, what? how do you think the community thinks about the churches in the neighborhood? Um, you know, my hope has always been that the church is a... Um, is viewed very, um, is, is very important to the community. Um, you know, I've always had the question opposed to me and I even opposed to my congregation that the church just leaves with the community message. And so we want to uh, make sure that we are being a light and being a voice for Christ in our community. Um, I, I do believe that the church um, has been very helpful in um, meeting the practical needs of the community as well as seeking to meet the spiritual needs. Um, you know, we have a lot of churches in, in a short um, uh, yeah. geographical location, um, a lot of churches back here, and, uh, and very familiar with all the leadership there, and all of them have the same heart that we want to make an impact in our community, make sure that our uh, the members of the community um, are cared for, are loved, are encouraged, and even are exposed to the Word of God. And we want God to to be um, in in their preview, in their, in their forefront, in their thinking. I want them to have a, a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of Acts 2 when it talks about how, you know, the, the community, the churches, the people in the churches, they sup together, they worship together, Absolutely. and they took care of each other. And the people in the community saw the church. Yeah, and that's the that's the goal. Um, we do still have a lot of work to do. We yeah. still have, um, you know, have to take opportunity and take the initiative 
to uh, reach the people where they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think uh, t the, the time is way past that we're just expecting people to show up at the door yeah. of the church. And, you know, this generation is not doing that. So we have to go to them where they are and, uh, and serve them um, in, in the... And, and, and pursuing them in their own life, in their own uh, pursuits, in their own life, in their own situations. Um, we want to encourage them and let them know that we're here, we love them, and that God, God loves them as well, and we're, we're His hands and feet. That's, that's a good word. Why do you think, um, as one of the churches in the area, one of the pastors in the area, uh, why do you think we have this idea that people are just going to show up? Well, you know, it, it's, I, I think it's, you know, generations gone by, the church was more in the mainstream of the consciousness of the people. Um, you know, even if you wasn't a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you still you still went to church. You saw a value <laughs> um, in the church, and there's value in the church. You know, your parents made sure you went to church, even if they didn't go to church. They, you know, they the church was um, a, a prominent place for all of us to be. You know, on Sundays, that's where we're going to be. Um, but, uh, you know, as generations gone by, churches kind of, because of all the other distractions and everything else, uh, just because of our society are, are drifting further and further away from the gospel, from the word of God and from God himself. Um, the church is not as prominent in, in, in the, the consciousness of, of, the, of the people. And so uh, I think we're still holding on to that, thinking that, you know, people are just going to show up. And they're not, uh, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic and so nobody's going to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have to, and the scripture teaches very clearly, Jesus didn't just show up in the, in the, um, in the synagogue on, on Sabbath day and just expect people to show up to see him. He was always on the move. He was always working and, and serving in the community. And so we have to have that same kind of incarnational ministry as he did. Um, he went where people were. Matter of fact, Jesus uh, made it so that it was more difficult to find him. <laughs> when, when you know, they heard about Jesus, where is he? Oh, he's over in another town. They would travel to go see him. <laughs> uh, so it was, um, but they they pursued after him, and uh, and he pursued them. And so, you know, even went places where the Jews would not even dare go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so we we have to. You know, follow the scriptures and and, and um, be as he he was and do as he did. It sounds like our area doesn't have as many uh, unchurched people, but almost de-churched, kind of generationally removed from the church culture in our area. Uh, that's a good term. I mean, I, I agree. I think so. Uh, you know, even even in my church, you know, we have a lot of uh, we do have seniors there, and. A lot of times church growth was kind of more born into the church yeah. where, you know, your, your your members had children and they would be in the church and so forth and so on. But but there's been somewhat of a disconnect, you know, where the children are not, you, usually when they get of age, they would leave the church anyway. But um, we're seeing that that generation, that middle generation is, is very lacking. That's a, That's always been a concern. Of our churches, where where's that group? Where where are the younger ones? Where are the that middle age? You know, we have our seniors there, but but where where's that group? That that Gen Z? That uh, that uh, well, millennials are probably in their thirties now. But yeah, yeah, most of us up there. Right, right. 
you know, that's an interesting thing you're talking about. That where is that Gen Z? Um, I've had conversations with people, and they said, I basically they basically want to do the anti thing that their parents do. They felt right. forced to go to church, right? So now it's like I'm not going to put that 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 pressure on my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like because that pressure wasn't put on mainly millennials, right? Now the ones after the millennials. They're not even there at all. Right. You know, it's, you know, we often joke and say, when we grew up, we were on drugs. We were drug to church. church. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when they reach, uh, graduate from high school and they have a choice and they get to that adult stage, then, you know, a lot of them would drift away. That's usually when that back door happens. Um, when they leave the home, they leave the church. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's what's happening. And now... We see the effects of that. We yeah. see the outcome of that. Um, that um, and sometimes in the parenting, it's a reactionary against. Well, this is what my parents did, and I didn't like it, so I'm not going to do that to my children. And then when you kind of evaluate the results, you say, well, maybe they had something going there that was actually good, um, and is a delayed appreciation of uh, what they experience as as children with their parents. And now that now they understand. Well, now I understand why they did what they did. Like it then, but I appreciate it now. It's almost like in the Old Testament. I think it's in Second Chronicles when they said we found the book of the law, and he right. read the law, right. and he was like, "This is what our forefathers believed," and, right. and almost this reawakening. Because um, right. I do see this desire for many people to find authentic faith. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, um, you know, I think statistics show that a lot of people say that they're spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a a big discussion about the difference between spirituality and religion. Um, a lot of people say they're spiritual, but they don't necessarily consider themselves religious. Yeah. Um, and so they're pursuing something, um, but it's not necessarily the the structured, formal, religious um, pursuit. But um, you know, they are searching for something, but but they don't know what they're searching for. Mm-hmm. And, and we who know the Lord, we have the answer, but the question is there, how are we engaging them, how are we interacting with them to at least help them understand what they're missing, what they're lacking, at least tell them, and that's what we're called to do, be witnesses. We can't change anybody or convert anyone, but uh, we're called to be a witness and just to proclaim his name and proclaim him. How do you think the people in the community, uh, first of all, what do you think they think the gospel is? How do you think they view the gospel? Well, it's kind of hard to say because it's—I mean—it's kind of all over the map. Uh, when you engage people and ask them about the gospel, um, you know, they, they could refer to the the New Testament, the first four books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can refer to. Um, they might even be able to quote um, and and biblically accurately mm-hmm. quote. You know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and be able to say that. But not really understanding what that, that is, what it is, and what it means, and yeah. and and personally what it means, as far as having a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I don't. I think you'll be hard pressed to find somebody who did not know the name of Jesus, mm. um, at least in our country. Um, but the question then becomes: But do they have a clear understanding of what the gospel means? Um, you know, when you start talking about and sharing 
the gospel of people, they will be quick to go through, go to, you know, for example, the commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not in that. Sometimes they don't even do that. Yeah. But they'll go to um, their view of what is good. Uh, that, that's what I was going to point out. Yeah. I know sometimes when we've done uh, kind of evangelism in the city, mm-hmm. a lot of times it goes back to what I do. Right. You know, how I how I right. live. Right. And you have to get past that because they'll they talk about, I'm a good person, I don't do this and I don't do that. And they're comparing themselves with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you really have to, and that's why I'm, I went out to talked about the Ten Commandments. That's usually what the, one of the tools I use to go and explain to them, well, how good are you really? And, uh, you know, have you been, have you kept all the commandments? And when you start walking down that list, they realize that, you know, most of the time they've broken every last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea of good, and that's a you know uh, an idea or a philosophy. Uh, a lot of people that we're basically good. I'm a good person, and God should let me into His heaven um, if they believe in heaven, um, because my good outweighs my bad. Well, I found many of them believe in heaven, but they believe in a heaven with no king. Right. They want their own piece of paradise. But right. They don't want. Uh, right. They don't want the heaven that that requires you have to submit to someone greater than you. Well, you know, and it and it's also this when it comes to God and when it comes to us, what people have to do, they either will pull God down from being God or they'll elevate themselves to be mm, God. Yeah. And so, you know, when you start talking about the accountability, you start talking about the understanding that, you know, that he is God and that he's holy. What a lot of people want to do is divorce or create their own God. And and whenever you hear somebody say to me, God is like that, that means that they've created a God for themselves. They had to create a character of who God was. Right. And they will, they will, they will pick on the love of God. God is love. So God is love. He loves me. So he's not going to send me to hell because God loves me. He accepts me for He knows my heart. He's going to say all these different things, but they divorce the fact that God is also holy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, when you start talking to people about God, well, to me, God is like this. And they, they rip the God of Scripture and tear him to pieces. And then they start fashioning and molding God that makes him feel a lot more comfortable. And this God is going to let me into his head. Yeah, I think I think they confuse the fact. They think God can't hate anything because he's all love. I'm like, no, right. actually, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's right. ep- it's apathy. Mm-hmm. You know, if the, he's not, if he doesn't care about what you do wrong. Right. And how good is this God? How right. holy actually is he? Right, right. But if he cares, he's going to despise the things you do that, that go against the nature of who he created right. you to be. And he loves those the, He loves those who he disciplines. And, and, and the same thing he used in scripture about, you know, fathers. Fathers are not going to just let you just do any kind of thing you want to do. Yeah. Knowing that it's leading you to destruction. But those who love you will discipline you, will chastise you. And, and that's who our God is. He's love, but also he's holy. He cannot stand sin. He knows uh, sin separates us from him. And he, so he wants us to be in relation with him. Yeah, we. Uh, I always try, I try to help people understand this idea that God hates sin. Is he loves who he created. He hates what we've become. Right. Right. And that's the same challenge that we have when we're dealing with people, mm-hmm. you know, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Yeah. Um, but we have a, a hard time divorcing the two. Um, and, you know, but that's 
that's why we have to continue to allow him to guide us and help him to teach us what love is because we can't love one another without him teaching us and showing us how to love through his love towards us. Yeah, you said something earlier about fathers, um, about a father who disciplines and because he loves us. Um, in our in our communities, I mean, it's no secret. It's a lack of fathers, That's especially true. in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the church can be uh, more equipped to both bring men in, but also to raise men up? Um, I think it has to be intentional um, that a church will pursue men, pursue, because their role is so strategic. Uh, you know, as go the, the head, so goes the body. Yeah. As go the father, so goes the family. And so when the fathers are not in place, uh, then the whole family is, is one, there's no covering for them. Uh, they are exposed. Um, that providential uh, protection is, is not in place. And so, so goes the head, so goes the body. Yeah. And, and so, and you know, if we look at it, fathers, men are the more difficult group of people to reach. In the <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, they, they're just, you know, you, if you get a bunch of men, you're going you're gonna to get with them women and children. But, you know, when you, when you have a lack of male presence and a lack of fathers um, whose hearts are not in tune with God and God is not... Uh, develop, matured, and and transform their hearts. Then the whole family's in disarray, and this is what we're seeing in our society. Uh, we have we have. Uh, I read a statistic that one in four families, the father is absent. It's 19.7 million children are without fathers today, and so we can see that. We can see what's happening. Our society is crumbling because the fathers are not in place. Where are they? They're in jail, or, or um, you know, we know that our fathers, especially black fathers, um, we have all of us African Americans have underlying health issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, our area, I think, um, based on a statistic I heard from a doctor, has number two amount of um, diabetic amputees in the nation. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that. And, and so, you know, we we're struggling. And so when we're not taking care of ourselves and we die early, we leave our families vulnerable. Mm. And then there's that pride thing going on where we don't want to take care of ourselves like we're supposed to. (laughs) Uh, We eat what we want to eat. We do what we want to do. And then, you know, our families are left with this gaping hole because we've died early, died young. Um, You know, there's a fear factor for men. We don't want to, we don't even want to go to the doctor. We don't want to check on ourselves. We, you know, we take better care of our cars. Mm-hmm. We make sure. Got to make sure we can get to work. Yeah, we make sure that the oil is changed and everything maintained. We, we're sticklers on that. But this machine that we, the body that we live in, yeah. we have to take just as much care because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to live as long as I can to make sure that my children are safe, that they, they raised, they're raised and grown and developed to be uh, mature men and women who love the Lord. That, that I won't leave that burden on my wife. I won't leave that burden on my family. Um, so I got to take care of myself. Whenever, when something f- doesn't feel right, I'm going to check it out. What's going on? Let me, let me, because I, I'm not one to say, well, I don't believe it. I'm going to just wish it away or I'm not going to claim it. I'm going to go to the doctor and say, tell me what's going on. 
so I, I have a clear understanding so I can make a wise decision on what I need to do and I need to give that to the Lord and trust him but I need to know what's happening so, so it sounds like um, as churches we have to focus on the family holistically from the, their health to the fathers and the mothers being present I mean we're uh, the 29203 where we're pastoring um, I believe the last statistic I saw was only 10% of the people over here were married yeah yeah um, very low percentage a lot of single uh, families are here um, majority of them are single mothers and so that's a struggle and, and the church has to be supportive of that the church has to rally around that you know the scripture is very clear James talks about taking care of the widows and mm-hmm. the orphans um, and so, the, uh, you know, the relevancy of the church being engaged and involved in helping these families. And so, yeah, it needs to be holistic, but you, we also need to be very intentional to target men yes. you know, and, and target our fathers. Um, and, and we have to do that not being, an, if I can say this, effeminate ministry um, that just focuses on the needs of the women and children, but not really dealing with the needs of the men. I mean, we can see that in some of the preaching we've witnessed. Uh, preaching sometimes panders to yep. the female crowd because they're they are the larger uh, statistically. I mean, they they are usually ones that make up sixty nine percent of churches. Right, sixty nine to seventy five percent of churches, and I, I can dare say in our community they might make up higher than that. Yeah. And, and the women are more responsive, you know, and you know, the men, they're kind of scattered. And and uh, but when you have men, it's amazing how men can influence the family and the community. Mm. Um, where scripture talks about men, I want you to lift up holy hands. It's amazing just that act of men raising their hands in, in worship, how that impacts the whole congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're they're strong influencers. And so, you know, and when you do have a ministry to have strong men in leadership and strong men in service, that's a more healthy model and more healthy ministry than when it's lacking that. Now, I'm not knocking, uh, you know, ministries that predominantly women. And as you said, most of them are. Yeah. But, you know, if you sit down and talk to each of those ministries, they wish we had more men here. They they can move a lot better. They they you know I think about um, in Acts when um, Paul was in prison, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jailer, and how Paul and Silas they're, they're praising God in midnight hour after being beaten and so forth, and there there's an earthquake and and the whole jail just shakes and um, and all the dust settled the jailer, uh, assuming that they escape. They yeah. escape. He's ready to take his life because he knows if. It's under his watch and care. He knows that the, you know if, if anybody escapes, it's going to be his life. So he said, "I'm going to take my own life." Paul says, "Don't don't harm yourself. We're still here." And his response was, after uh, observing that um, powerful move of God, and you know, and I, I think he had to see connection between their singing and praising God mm-hmm. and praying, and then this powerful, powerful move of God. Yeah. That he said, what must I do to be saved? And he gets saved, and not only him, but his whole household. It, there's just uh, that next connection. You get that man, you get the family too. I mean, it, the statistics prove, uh, I think, 70% of men, if every almost 70% of the time when men get saved, their whole house changes. Absolutely. Uh, 
Only it's only is a very low major a low uh, percentage of when wives get saved that their husband and children follow. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying anything about right um, women who are sometimes the spiritual forefront. Right. But it sounds it looks like the order that the Bible put in place was always for the male the husband to be the Absolutely. one who's the, who's the forefront from the very beginning I mean you know you look at the garden um, scenario at, at the very Adam and Eve God gives Adam the word he gives him the command you know he, he first of all he created him first gave him work gave him a job before he got his wife that's a very mm-hmm. important <laughs> very important <laughs> he, he gotta be doing you, something yeah. um, and but he gave him the command you know hey you got all this is yours you can eat of any tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, and then here comes Eve, and his help me comes. And, and obviously, Adam had been instructing Eve about what mm-hmm. God had said because when, when she was hanging around that same tree that they uh, God told him not to hang around with, um, when, when Satan spoke to her about it, uh, she was able to recall, not perfectly, but she was able to recall um, what the command was. Now the interesting thing, though, is a lot of a lot of people study that scripture, and they just kind of think that Adam was somewhere frolicking in the in the garden now, somewhere he, else. He seemed to be in proximity. He <laughs> was in proximity because it says when she ate, when she took the first bite, when she ate the fruit, we don't know if it's apple or not. It's not calling it apple. Mm-hmm. Um, when she ate the first that fruit, she gave to her husband who was with her. He was there listening to the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. But did not never interject. Very passively, just allowed the conversation to take place. He did not step between uh, the serpent and his wife and said, "Stop talking to him. Talk to her. You know, I'm the one in charge." And we know that he's the one in charge because when God came through, walked through the garden, he calls out, "Where are you?" Mm-hmm. And guess who answered first? It was Adam. <laughs> Adam. Yes. Here I here I am. <laughs> he dealt with him because he was the one that was responsible. He is the, you know, the word husband, if you understand that word, it means one who bands the house. He bands it all together. That's right. He bands the house together. So without that father, without that husband in his proper role, in his proper place, you know, and doing what he's supposed to be doing in leading his family, being the spiritual leader. A lot of times it's the opposite where you got the the wives are the one that's more versed in scripture than the husband. Mm -hmm. And so, but when that man takes on that responsibility and not usurp that role, um, then that's when things are where it's supposed to be. And, and, and the order, order is, is how God would have actually originated as far as the husband and wife and the, and the father uh, in the home. So we see that from the beginning and we see that played out throughout human history and throughout biblical history. Um, how do you think we should work together as churches in our area just to pastor our churches, uh, pastor our area better? I, I think, and I actually just had this conversation with another pastor earlier today. Um, we're, in a, we're in a situation now where we, we cannot ignore the mm-hmm. need to partner and work together. Um, you know, especially with... Uh, Sorry. Especially with uh, what we're dealing with with the pandemic, what we're dealing with with you know uh, racial injustice back at the forefront of the consciousness of America and even the world, um, we have to 
think about how do we partner together and not just stay within our silos and stay within our churches and within the parameter of our church. And so it has to be intentionality. Uh, you know, all of us pastors are busy. All of us leaders are busy. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have any additional time. We don't get another hour in our day or in our week. What it really boils down to is prioritizing. And we have to prioritize that this is important and it's important for us enough to say, I choose this to the neglect or at least I need to push this aside. All this stuff is good that we're doing, but what's the most effective? Yeah. And so uh, I, I believe that we would have to begin to be intentional about meeting with each other with the purpose of how do we work together to, to meet the needs of our communities. Um, we have to remove ourselves from the territorial mindset. We have to move ourselves from the, the, the jealousy um, and concern about, you know, who's going to steal our members and all that. We have to remind ourselves that it's not our members. They belong to the Lord. Um, but we need to begin to work together to, to really address the needs. And we all, I think, have studied our uh, environment enough to know that you know, there are some specific needs that our churches yes. have and our communities have. And all we have to do is pool our resources. But that's the key. I think that's the, the willingness. It's not about, I think the first thing is about willingness. And then the ability to do it comes after that. We have to be willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to work together and partner with you to, to make an impact in this community. And then I think, you know, when we look at uh, Paul's um, description of the body of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, uh, we began to be able to identify what strengths and weaknesses we have. I know we look at that from the standpoint of within the body of Christ, within the fellowship, my fellowship, that we have many members, but different functions, different gifts. And but we so have forth. to look at it broader. We have to look at it from a church level yeah. and saying that my church strengths and gifts are here and yours might be different. And yes. so we can learn to complement each other versus compete with each other. And so you might be really strong in evangelism, for example. Uh, my church might be really strong in discipleship. Let's partner. Mm -hmm. Let's play to our strengths instead of trying to be you know, competitive and, and, you know, I'm trying to build up my weaknesses. I know there's, I mean, you know, I think if you evaluate any church, um, they have strengths, they have weaknesses, they have some strong points and they have some weaker points. And then you find a ministry that, you know, might be different, you complement each other, then we can get the job done more effectively. And when we understand the players on the team and we understand what role they play. And so I think when we look at it from the church, that church perspective, of saying, you know, what your church is good at, what your church thrives on, what my church thrives on. Let's 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 work together and let's accomplish that. I think we can do get, get greater things, uh, do greater things because of that. Yeah, I get questioned often. It's like, well, there's enough churches in the area. There is already there's a church in every corner. Why exactly do we need so many churches? Yeah, and, and that might be true, and 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 it, it is a, it, it looks bad. <laughs> at every block, you have a church. But when you begin to investigate the purpose and the focus of that church, what, yeah. what their vision is, they're completely different. And a lot of times the church is so inwardly focused that they're not doing any good for the community around it. So you got these buildings and you got these churches, but the churches are mostly, mostly concerned about the members within. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I often tell people, I said, we got 21,000 people that live in just the Eau Claire and our mm -hmm. surrounding area, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the larger 29203. 
it's like 42,000 people. Right. And the largest church in our area um, may have 200, 400 right. people. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and then you have these people that I, I know when I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I lived in the, the community I lived in um, almost, almost about 20 years. And I grew up in that community. I lived in that community. And I can tell you where all the church buildings were. I can tell you, I, I mean, I knew them because it's gone going back and forth. and I knew, But I didn't know anything about what was going on inside it. And so those, those churches were just backdrop to me. It was just a building to me, but it had no value for me. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times when people are driving by churches, they see the building. But it has no significance. It has no value for them. And that's why we have to be intentional about getting beyond the walls of the church and meeting the people where they are and not waiting for them to show up at the doorstep because they never will. They just see it and they just, oh yeah, I've got, and that church been in that community for many, many years. Um, but they don't, they don't even know what's inside or even care to know what's going on inside because what's inside has never come out, has never come out to, to greet them or even to build a relationship with them. Do you think a pandemic has kind of revealed almost? I think the Lord has done something where he has shaken um, every church mm. out of its comfort. Yeah. Um, I, I, I put it this way. God, in essence, said to the world, I'm putting you all in timeout. <laughs> That's a great way. So he said, everybody in their corner <laughs> and said, I want you to think about what you're doing, <laughs> what you've been doing or what you haven't been doing. And, and what has it done, though, it, it really has allowed us to reflect on our relationship with him and our relationship with our family. It is in our isolation, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, um, that it's caused our relationship with our family to go stronger. Yeah. Um, he's removed all of the distractions. I mean, you know, sports and all the other stuff that we would just kind of be distracted and fixated on. All that has gone by the wayside. It's just it's just sitting there like this. I don't know what I'm gonna do now. But it, it's an opportunity to now have a deeper relationship with the Lord. And He even took the building away from us because mm -hmm. that can be an, an an idol for us. You know, just to be and the and the uh, comfort of that we have just to be going to the building. I, you know, I, I've talked to some of my members and and that old adage is the absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. They, a lot of them have a new appreciation mm. for worship, a new appreciation to even come to worship. Um, I mean, they're longing to get back together. Um, and, and, you know, we're still waiting because the numbers are still where they are and, and increasing. But but it, it's grown uh, us to the, to the degree where we have now a greater appreciation for what we've lost. I would even say it's uh, kind of shaking up those who don't believe yet, because they're starting to have those conversations. Oh, yeah. They're having, oh, they yeah. have a lot of questions. Uh, and and on, honestly, uh, talking about the pandemic and even the protests and everything mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. in our city, um, you're starting to see this sense of where is the church where right. we really need right, right, and oh, even where is God directly. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually through tragedy and trials, that's when people begin, God is placed on their minds that where before when everything's comfortable and they're good and got everything in control, they don't need God. And so, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's, uh, he's done this. We, I, I think about it this way. We pray for doing our traditional revival services every year. We pray for revival every year. At least once a year we're saying, Lord, send a revival. I think this is it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> he's showing up. <laughs> and he showed up in such a way 
that no one can even know. Yeah. I mean, only God could allow a, a virus to cover the whole globe. Mm. Only God can do that. And, and, and he brings beauty out of ashes. He uses um, things like this. Unfortunately, it takes something like this to get our attention. Absolutely, yeah. But it works. And, you know, we see that in Scripture where I'm, I'm reading through Exodus and just going through the, just reading through the plagues, how he used that to just upend Egypt and even also Israel. So, and his phrase kept saying, so that you know that I'm the Lord. And so he would allow these things to happen so that it would get our attention so that we would turn to him. And, uh, and you know, sometimes it's short-lived. I mean, you know, 9-11, everybody was asking about where mm -hmm. God was. And and uh, we saw God bless America over and over again, banners and everything else. And then not too long after that, we went back to our norm. We went back to our, you know, hey, I can live my life without God. Or I believe in God, but I don't, you know, I don't necessarily live for him. And, mm -hmm. and so, but I think this is, he's really um, stirred the nest and, and shaken the whole world uh, to get our attention and to really help us realize that time is running out. Yeah, yeah. Andre, I'm gonna leave with this last question. Uh, and this has been a good conversation. I love just, I love getting up with you and just hanging out with you. Cause your brother, you be dropping nuggets. Oh man, please. every time we sit, the, sit down. Um, Appreciate but you having the, me. The, the last question, really, I would have is just how could we be more faithful to seeing the gospel impact our communities and cooperate with each other? Like I said, I think one. We gotta start by reaching out and being intentional with each other and, and just having these conversations as leaders and but then take it to the next step and saying, okay, what's the next step? What can we practically concrete steps we can put in place to help our communities? How do we align our ministries and the platform that we have uh, that God has given us to work together because you know there's strength in numbers. Um, two is better than one, you know. I think that's the case, and I think the other thing is, um, I believe, just the sovereignty of God, is that God has placed us here for this season. Um, and my question is always to God, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Yeah. Uh, we just got, just got finished talking about it. I know God is moving. His hand is clearly um, evident in all of this, not only the pandemic, but also just the, the whole justice issue right now. The question we need to ask and, and seek the Lord about is, okay, I see you move the Lord. Where do you want to put me? What what role do you want me to play? Let me join you in what you're up to and what you're doing. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we God has allowed us to live in the midst of this pandemic. Yes, yeah, I think surprised. He strategically placed us here because He wants to use us for His glory. And so, with that with that mindset of intentionality, of say, okay, we need to be intentional about what we're doing. But also, it's a mandate from God. He's 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 put us in this position, as as you know, Mordecai told Esther for such a time as this. And so, what you know, that should be the priority that we ought to be living in. Um, this is a new season. Um, you know, I, I I don't like the word normal, the new normal, which it you know may very well might be, but I don't like it. I just like the idea of seasons because we go through seasons. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the season that we find ourselves in. It's different from any other season we've been in, but the thing I love about seasons and why I like it is because seasons always change. Absolutely, amen. <laughs> yeah, yes. So it's, it's not forever, but it's the season we're in. But when you find, just, just as we cannot control the weather and the seasons that come, um, 
you know, in geographically or just on the earth. You know, we can't control this either. We don't have the control. He has control. The best we can do, best thing we can do is dress for the weather. Mm. You know, dress for the weather. We, we find out what season right we're in, and we we dress appropriately, and and we prepare ourselves to live in this kind of season. And you know, we can wail and moan and cry, and why are we in this season? All we want, but the season is here. Uh, you know, we can mourn the loss of, of the days where we we're able to go to worship freely and openly. We can mourn the loss of you know the times where we didn't have to wear masks and all those things, and we have to wash our hands and all that stuff. And, um, but we also can embrace it and say, okay, this is where we are now. Lord, how do you want us to serve in the midst of all this? And I think with that understanding, we can be more effective because we're, we're more focused. We, we understand the signs of the times and, and, and we're willing to plug in where God would have us to plug in. And I think we can accomplish so much more um, with, that, with that mindset than just kind of being distant or or you know, sticking our heads in the sand and saying, you know, it'll blow over or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's not working, it doesn't work. That's a good word, that's a good word. Well, Andre, how can the people uh, find out about more about you and your church, even get in touch with you? It might be some people who uh, watch this and listen who want to know how they can be a part of the church. Well, I mean, of course, and you, your pastor as well, and planning a church as well. And uh, you know, our church is Temple Zion Baptist Church, and uh, we you can you can find us um, on the internet uh, www.templezbc.org. Uh, we have our services um, broadcast live, um, and you know you can connect with us that way. Uh, we are interested in working with pastors and work with other churches um, to to look at our community, look at this area, area 29203 and uh, what can we do together to work together. I, I know that we'll find that individually we're working on these challenges, but what would it look like if we worked on them together, together yeah. and identify some common goals and we can work together towards those goals? I know we will get more done. So um, you can reach us through the website there, uh, www.templezbc.org. Um, and and connect with us there, um, and and let's see what we can do together to to help our communities. And and it has to be that selfless. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my church. It's about what does but the community the king, need. Yes, yes. And uh, and we need to reach the community. We're not. It's it's not a means to an end. It is it is the the reason why he's called us to be light and salt is to is to serve and love people. And, um, and we leave those results to God. We're just being witnesses. We're, we're, we're there to help. And sometimes we have to deal with people addressing their practical needs first. And that's what Jesus did. Um, and even if they uh, don't turn or change or uh, come to Christ, we still did our job. Yeah. We still did what we're supposed to do. So check us out. And, um, and we'd love to talk with you, whoever, uh, to let's, let's work, let's move together. Uh, because there's so many needs out there in, in this pandemic. And, and what we're dealing with is uncovered a lot, and so we can address that together. Um, I think that's the only way we can do this, is together in Christ. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I, I bomb rushed in your office today, but <laughs> I really appreciate well, this time. Always have time for you, you brother. Yeah. Always have time. Uh, well, thank you. Well, again, uh, this is Jay Will with City of Refuge Church. You can go to our website, colacityrefuge.org. That's colacityrefuge.org. Org. I'm going to put up this video and also I'm going to put up an audio 
um, if we don't have the whole video up since we are trying to make it about 10 minutes long but I think this is some really good audio to hear um, what the Lord is doing in Eau Claire and in the surrounding areas. We're out. Mm -hmm.